freedom 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 over fame freedom over cycle stays the same welcome first of all welcome this is unsolicited perspectives i am your host bruce anthony thank you for listening and watching wherever you get your podcast and video podcasts subscribe share like comment and rate us you can find us on instagram youtube and twitch at unsolicited underscore perspectives on twitter and tiktok at unsolicited underscore per watch us live every thursday night 7 30 p.m eastern on youtube and twitch our audience continues to grow with each and every episode and i humbly thank you on today's episode is part two of the interview with Joshua Shea and porn addiction. We're going to be continuing talking about porn addiction and some suggestions for parents to help with their kids. But first things first. You know, I broke this interview up into two parts because I felt that it was really, really important. One, uh, two, the conversation with Joshua Shea kept going. Uh, because it was just a good interview and uh, his answers to the questions that I had and questions that I didn't even think to ask. Just the conversation was just going so well. I decided to break this up into two parts. So this is the second part of that interview. But as we were talking, uh, I'm going to get a little personal here. I'm going to say that uh, it hit home. I'm not going to say that I'm addicted to porn, but I remember maybe it was like 20 years ago, me and my brother were having a conversation talking about porn actresses. And we were talking about some of our favorite porn actresses. And my father was in the room um, and we were, and he was hearing this conversation. He was like, wait a minute, you guys know these porn actresses by name and you're not saying just one or two, you're reeling off 10. Seemed kind of weird to him. To me and my brother, it felt as it was normal, right? Because you talk to most guys and most guys, I, 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 the majority of guys out there watch porn. Let's, let's just put it out there. And as Joshua, say, Joshua Shea was saying, a large majority of women are watching porn as well. So porn, there's a reason why it's a billion dollar industry. Porn is big business. These porn stars have become household names. It was shocking to my father because my father's of a different generation, even though he's only 21, 22 years older than me. Um, he's from a different generation. He grew up in the 70s and porn wasn't readily available like it was in the technology age when I was 25, 26 years old. And he just didn't understand how me and my brother knew so many porn stars. And it's because we were consuming porn. I know. I'm not going to say that it was a cause of my infidelity in my 20s. But if you're constantly watching other women like, okay, so I will say that porn can disrupt your sex life from a and I can speak to that from a personal experience. Um, because one, porn, sex and porn is not real. I, like I said, I've been on a porn set before. It is just like a movie set, 
a legitimate, not, I mean, not saying porn isn't legitimate, but just like a, a movie that's in the movie theaters. There are cuts, there's acting. Uh, what these people do to perform physically is is challenging, right? Like these guys are popping pills. I've even heard stories of guys getting the shot so they can keep their penis erect. Like it's not real life, but because you consume porn, you you might become distorted, and it definitely, as Joshua say, Joshua Shea was saying, will desensitize you to the point where normal sex is it fun because it's not as stimulating as porn is. And I would say that I was a cheater in the past, partly because I like being with different women, right? Because in porn, I could be with a different woman all the time. So yeah, I kind of like being with different women. In my 30s, I realized that porn was a detriment to my personal life. And I reduced the amount of porn I watched. Now I don't watch porn at all. I know that's hard for people out there to believe, Bruce, you don't watch porn. Yeah, I've been, I don't watch porn anymore. Um, I don't, I don't want some of the things that Joshua Shea was was talking about. You know, I don't want ED like that. That for me personally, the day that my penis stops working is a day I don't want to live no more. (laughs) Like I, like I'll be ready to go. Like and I know my mom is watch uh, is watching or listening to this uh, podcast. Sorry, mom, but this is true. Like, um, yeah, the day that the day that it stops working is a day that I don't want to be. I don't want to be here anymore. And I'm, I do take medication. I'm I'm not a strong believer. I'm okay. I'm not one of those anti-vax people. I'm definitely not one of those anti-vax people. But like, I don't always want to take antibiotics, right? Uh, like if I have a sinus infection or something like that. I kind of want my body to heal itself. And I'm saying all that to say this. I don't want to take medication to make my penis work. <laughs> like, I just don't. So I stopped watching porn, I would say, probably during the pandemic. I know that's even hard for some people to believe. Like, you had all this time alone by yourself. I wasn't alone. I wasn't alone. The pandemic was... I wasn't alone. Let's put it that way. So... um yeah. So personally, you know, I'd stopped watching porn, but going back to that story, with my father, you know, he just found it kind of strange. And in retrospect, he was kind of right because it was strange that uh, these porn actresses had become household names and not to, and, and, and you'll get this at the end of the interview, but I, I want to put this up front. I don't think porn is a bad thing. I don't. I think uh, porn can be healthy. Uh, it can, it, as as you listen to the previous interview with Olivia LaRue, an, uh, an esc- escort and sex therapist, um, it can be used in connection with your partner uh, to spice up the sex life. Right. Like if you're with somebody for a long period of time, you'll get bored if you don't change things up. Like, do you want to eat the same thing every day? Do you want to wear the same clothes every day? I mean, maybe you do, but like you don't want to have the same type of sex all the time. And people kind of fall into these routines and 
and long-term relationships. There's nothing wrong with introducing porn to spice. There's nothing wrong with sex toys and all this stuff to introduce spiciness to your sex life. For people that have been out there, for people that are out there that have been with their partner for a long period of time, think about spicing some things up. Um, just because you want to keep things fresh in the relationship. Um, so porn in and of itself is not bad. I'm not a person that's against porn. Um, I think porn can be helpful, but it's just like anything, right? Like alcohol in and of itself isn't bad. An excessive amount of alcohol is bad. Marijuana in and of itself is not bad. An excessive amount of marijuana is bad. Same thing with uh, painkillers. Painkillers by themselves do just that. They reduce pain. The in and of itself is not a negative. Excessive amounts of it can be negative. So excessive excessive amounts of porn can absolutely be negative, but porn in and of itself is not bad. Uh, so I just want to put that out there. But anyway, that was my long-winded rant to touch bases with you guys personally about how porn has affected me. Look, I can't be interviewing people and talking with and doing a show with my sister and not give you guys perspectives into my life. I'm only going to give you but so much, uh, because even though I do this show, I am a private person. Um, the people close to me will tell you that they half the time don't know what's going on in my life. But if I'm asking people to open up themselves, I must do the same thing. So that was my little tidbit on porn that had to do with me. Um, like I said, an excessive amount of porn is bad. And was I doing an excessive amount of porn? I don't know. I don't know if I was or wasn't, but I do know that it did affect me in prior relationships. And I do know that not the, re the reduction of porn in my life and now the elimination of porn in my life. Uh, and it could also just be that I'm getting older. Uh, I'm now a faithful man as opposed to being in my 20s where I was a serial cheater. I'm not proud of that. It is what it is. Uh, but enough of my rant. Here's part two of the interview with Joshua Shea, porn addiction and some tips to help parents. Joshua, welcome back. Thank, Thank you. you for doing part two. This is a, a two-parter because I think this is really, really important to talk about. So we talked about betrayal trauma and we talked about addiction and we talked about your recovery can you uh can you discuss the importance of a personalized recovery for individuals that are struggling with addiction and the roles that those people that would call you and say this person is addicted to porn and the roles that they play they're supported the, their loved ones in supporting them absolutely um there are so many modes of recovery you can go to inpatient rehab. You can do outpatient work. You can do straight-ahead therapy. You can do coaching like I offer. There are the 12-step groups. There's plenty of research out there. There are other uh, group sessions, especially for, for men. Um, there is There are online 12 steps. There's online forums. There is so many, there are so many different ways to recover that... Um, I find the people who are most successful, including myself, tend to try just about everything at one time or another, but then have to almost create their own program hmm. um, and have to figure out what's best and what works for them. There are some people who come to me and I only see them eight or 10 times, and then I've given them what they need 
from my side of things and they can move on to something else. There are some people who I see have seen hundreds of times who mm-hmm. this is a regular piece of their recovery. Um, one of the most important things is to let the addict, if they are serious and if they are committed, and if they're not, there's nothing you can really do about it. Right. If they are serious, if they are committed to let them cast their own path to recovery because everybody is different. The Mm -hmm. most important thing you mentioned for the people who are supporting is to not dictate how the addict is going to heal. And I do get that with a lot of the partners who are dealing with betrayal trauma, like, oh my God, they need to go to three meetings a week. They need to always be reading a book. They need to be doing this. And I said, well, if that's what would work for you, that's fantastic. Right. They have to figure out their own way. And the best thing that somebody who is trying to support an addict can do is, number one, not outwardly judge about the addiction. Hmm. I understand you may be totally grossed out by what they looked at, why they looked at it, what they were doing while they were looking at it. That's fine. But don't cast that upon them. Why would anybody who you judge openly... Why would anybody who you put down openly ever trust you to share what's happening mm-hmm. with them? And more importantly than that, you need to create a safe area around these people. They need these addicts. They need to know that they have your support. They need to know they will not be judged by you. They need to know that they can turn to you in the times that aren't going well and share what may be some very uncomfortable truths. If you're not up for this, they can find somebody else who can do it, but then don't complain about being left in the dark. I understand that you are the victim, especially if you're dealing with betrayal trauma. But if you want this person to get better, you're going to have to handle them with a different set of rules, like you do with anybody who is very ill. You have to handle them a little bit differently. You know, if if somebody was in a car accident that was completely their fault, you're not going to hold back treatment because it was their fault. You are going to treat them and hopefully try to get them better. And then if they have to pay some kind of price or they have to, uh, you know, deal with the law or deal with you uh, putting in some kind of boundaries, they can down the road. But at first, they need to not be judged and they need to be they need to feel like they're in a safe place if they are going to begin that journey. So for those people that are being supportive of the person that's either a loved one or partner, uh, whatever connection that they have to the person that's suffering from the addiction, they want to be there and support them, but they're having a different, difficult time dealing with that betrayal trauma. Do you typically advise them or suggest to them you should also go see somebody to talk to, to deal with what you're dealing with. Absolutely. And that was why I also got uh, certified as a uh, betrayal trauma coach was because this is the other side of that coin. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's, it's, I hate to think that my wife thought that I made any of those choices because she wasn't good enough. You know, I became an addict when I was 14 years, 12, 14 years old. Um, I met her when I was 26. How could she have anything to do with this? And that's what I think really is important for the partners to understand out there. You are the victims 
But if you've decided you want to try to make things work, if you've decided you want to help this person uh, get the assistance they need to hopefully recover, you are, are unfortunately not going to be able to lean into the victim side of things with them. But it's still important that you do. It's still important that you talk about the pain and the anguish that their choices as an addict caused you. And also, I have found that betrayal trauma is just a 2020s way of saying my latest trauma from the last person I thought would do it to me. Mm. I would say to you, Bruce, that 100% of the clients I have seen for betrayal trauma have some pre-existing trauma in their life and what the betrayal trauma causes, it causes that previous trauma to bubble back up to the surface. So no, so these partners are not just dealing with the fact that they've learned their partner is completely into pornography. They're also having to deal with, oh my God, here's some old memories. Here's hmm. some old anguish. Here's some old stuff that's happening from my own life. Yeah, that I now have to deal with. So it's 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 a little bit odd in that once you get beyond the initial uh, addiction and handling the addiction and getting the addiction under control with the addicts, and once you handle the uh, shock that is still with the partners, the treatment is largely the same. It's about going back to childhood and finding out what those original traumas were and clearing them up. It's 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 odd, but it largely is, at least the way that I do it, the same treatment. Yeah, my sister talks about childhood trauma a lot. Uh, she has a therapist and a psychiatrist, and she's like, childhood trauma. And I'm like, everything is based on our childhood? And it, yes, childhood trauma. Um so, but what's important to also say is that you could have had the exact same experience as her, been standing next to her when she was having the trauma or she was getting that trauma internalized and it not internalized with you. It's not like a physical issue where if I take a baseball bat to your sister's knee and I take a baseball bat to your knee, the results are going to be similar. You could have twin brothers, twin sisters who go through the exact same thing and are affected with trauma absolutely differently. Yeah. You know, Joshua, I always use an analogy of two people walking in the woods. They're taking the exact same path, right? They could be the same height, same weight, same everything. And they're walking in the woods. They could be looking at the exact same things, but everything, the sounds, the smells and everything hits one person differently than another person. So just because two people have walked the same path doesn't mean that they're going to have the same experiences. Absolutely. So I guess that's kind of what you're saying. Absolutely. With the betrayal trauma and that addict, when that addict is in the recovery, and, and, and I'm sure there's some cognizant realization of what they've done to their partners and loved yes. ones, but, but when they, with those, with their partners or their loved ones or their support system, that's really having a difficult time because of that betrayal trauma, how does that affect the addict? Does that in some cases make the addict relapse because they've caused pain to others? It, it absolutely can. It is a burden. Um, and it is one of those things where the addict understands, oh my, not only did I, did I mess up my life, not only did I mess with my mind, I messed with this person's mind who I love very much. I hurt this person in ways that I never wanted to hurt them, 
but because I was an addict, I couldn't control it. When you're an addict, you will lie, cheat, steal, maneuver, manipulate, do whatever you have to do to serve your God, which is the addiction, mm-hmm. and to get those chemicals so you can feel better, including doing horrible things and treating your partner horribly. It's when you get clean that you recognize just how much damage you truly did and how much work you have to do to fix things. Just because they may not be coming down on you hard, just because they may not be shaming you because they're thinking about your recovery, doesn't mean that you don't have a lot of work to do to rebuild Mm. trust with that person. Yeah, yeah. Um, So we've talked about the recovery and addicts working on their addiction. But what are, what are the consequences of going untreated for your pornography addiction? What are some of the outcomes these people will face when they just, there are going to be some people out there that are going to listen and watch the show and they're going to say, I don't have a problem, right? Like we've seen it in every walk of life mm-hmm. when people are addicted to alcohol, drugs. I don't have a problem. I can drink all this and still function the next day. I can smoke all this and still function the next day. I can watch all this porn and, and still be great with my partner. It doesn't affect me. But they might actually still be addicted to that, to to whatever it is that they're using. What happens when these people don't try to fix this addiction? I believe that at its core, addiction is addiction is addiction is addiction. Basically, the same stuff is happening in your brain. Yes, if you are using cocaine or heroin or a chemical, you are going to have other side effects. But really, if you are a gambling addict, you're probably going to lose the house before you are a porn addict. You know, if you are a if you have an eating disorder uh, and you are you are a glutton, you will probably have a heart attack before somebody who is into porn. Um, Every addiction has their own unique side effects, but it's largely the same thing that's going on in the head over and over and over again. It's largely the same thing from addict to addict. And uh, what needs to be dealt with, um, when you leave an addiction untreated, whether it's cocaine, whether it's porn, alcohol, gambling, I don't care what it is, you're going to end up in only one of a few places. You're going to end up losing your family and friends. You're going to end up in financial dire straits. You're going to end up with some kind of health issue. You're going to end up with some kind of legal problem. Or you're going to end up dead. The only other choice is to get better. You end up in one of those five places or multiple places at the same time. Or you get better. That's that's it. There is no happy ending to addiction unless you go to recovery. I'm sorry. You said happy ending. Uh, We're doing serious talks here, but. And how often I say uh, you have to beat this addiction and it's hard. (laughs) I'm sorry. This is serious talk, but. Yeah. No, you know what? I, I truly believe we have to be able to laugh about this stuff if we're going to live through it. We have to laugh, bring it out of the bring it out of the darkness, bring it to the light. And also laugh and realize that everybody is human and everybody has their own stuff, right? Like everybody goes through something. We touched on something in the last episode 
and you talked about the statistics of uh, erectile dysfunction and its correlation to the accessibility to porn. I don't have any statistics to back this up. Maybe you do. But there's I believe that there's been a rise of sexual assault over the last couple of decades that cor- correlates with the accessibility of porn and the access of porn at such a very young age. You said you saw your first hardcore porn magazine at the age of 12. I saw mine at, I don't know, 14, 15, 16, sometime around there. But kids have access to this stuff younger and younger, and they don't know what they're watching. We had some idea at at 12 is even young, but 14, 15, you got some idea. Maybe you've even had sexual experiences. But these kids that are seven, eight, nine years old, not realizing that this is not real because I've actually been on a porn set before and, and realize it's like, oh, there's a lot of cuts and angles. This is like a regular TV show or movie. Yeah, this exactly. is nothing like what's portrayed on the screen. But kids don't know that and it's messing up their minds. So I, I say uh, I have no statistical facts to back this up. This is just my theory because there's been such a rise in sexual assaults. Part of that is more reporting. But also, I think this has to do with the fact that people at a young age are being exposed to sex and not realizing that what they're seeing is not real sex. What is your, what do you think about that? Because I just threw a I just threw a curveball at you. What I have seen uh, statistically, what I have seen in studies is that while there are more incidents of sexual assaults, there it's only been an equal rise in percentage of people watching pornography. There are not. Uh, individual numbers of people watching pornography. There is not a connection between Mm. somebody watching porn and going out and becoming a rapist. It's like saying somebody who plays a violent video game is going to go out and rob a store. Do people who rob stores play violent video games? I'm sure some do. Do Mm -hmm. people who rape others watch porn? I'm sure some do, but there is not a tight correlation that is, uh, or I should say there's not a tight causation causation. that has been proven between the two. That's good to know because the next question I was going to talk to you about is with the advent of the internet, high-speed internet, and uh, the growth of the sex industry because of that, kids have more access to it. So for those parents out there, what are some things that they can do to protect their young kids from viewing these images at such a young age? What you need to do is to recognize they are going to see those images. Mm. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. You can put all the blockers on their phones you want. You can put all the blockers on TV that they want. You cannot go out into society and not be faced with a bombardment of sexuality that borders on softcore pornography. And odds are one of your friends is going to show you hardcore pornography along the way, if not many of them, many times. So what we have to do is prepare with education. And I believe that can start very young. You can tell your four-year-old, your five-year-old, hey, you don't show anybody what's underneath your bathing suit or your underwear. And you don't ever go look at what's under somebody else's bathing suit or their underwear. 
and you don't ever let anybody take a picture of you without your clothes on, and you don't ever take a picture of someone else without their clothes on. And there's your lesson for five years old. Maybe at six or seven, you start to say, listen, you may have some friends at school or someplace who on their tablet, you may see pictures of, of naked men and women on there. Please let mommy know. Please let your teacher know. That's like cigarettes or that's like beer. Little kids aren't supposed to see that stuff. It's not good for them. When you're a grown-up, you can make a decision if you want to look at that stuff. But right now, as a kid in this house, we don't do that. Mm -hmm. And I think you can give very age-appropriate guidance as a child gets older, including up to a boy being 12 years old, where you can teach them about porn-induced erectile dysfunction. I think if we told these 12-year-old boys who... They don't want to become porn addicts. They want girlfriends. Mm -hmm. They just want to have a girl to hold the, hold their hand, to kiss them. They're, most of them aren't even thinking about sex. But if they can't get anything like that, they will watch pornography. And that's how many of them fall into it. And I think if we can let them know, hey, at your age, you watch too much of this stuff. By the time that you're a teenager, your penis will stop working. That's not just a scare tactic. That's the truth. And we're yes, seeing yeah. that in men in their early or in their late teens and early 20s, like we talked about the last episode in numbers that we've never seen before. Mm -hmm. I don't think these 12 and 13 year old boys know about it. I think they only learn about it after it's too late. Yeah. And we need to be able to educate them when the time is right. Again, it goes back to our puritanical society. What if in the health classes and hygiene classes that are taught in middle school and high school, where you learn about drugs, you learn about, you know, raising children, you learn about all of these other things. What if one class was devoted toward what happens with pornography and pornography addiction? Just one class. I think that we would be able to see some statistics really drop because again, most kids, I truly believe, want to do the right thing, and they want to know what the right thing is, and if they are not given guidance, if they are not given education, they will go with what feels good or what feels right. And as, as adults, and over the last two decades, we have been failing these children, and we need to turn this around. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. I don't think that would... I don't think that's going to fly in this in this American society that they're trying to do away with sex ed no, already. Exactly, so, so they're not going to add. What's going on? We have these old white men who are seeing a world that is changing way too fast for them, still running things in Washington. You know, just grasping for straws at this world that they don't understand, at this world that is changing rapidly, and they're shaking their fist at it. Thankfully, they'll all be dead in 10 to 20 years. And I have to I have to say that. <laughs> thankfully? Okay. Yes, thankfully, they will be dead soon. We just have to wait them out. And what we have to do, and what I have recognized is when I am working, I love working with younger people more than anything else. The mm -hmm. 18 to 25, 18 to, 18 to 30 year old bracket. I have more enthusiasm, I have more hope, and I have more belief that this is going to be the generation that truly helps this world than any other that's came before me, that's certainly ours. We're Generation X. We just watched the world burn. 
I think that this youngest generation of our kids may be the first in several generations to actually do some good in the world. Because I got to tell you, I know that they call my grandparents and my parents' generation the greatest generation. Well, that's a bunch of crap. I truly believe that my kids will be the greatest generation because they seem to actually care about this stuff at 23 and 24 years old in a way that nobody ever has before. Yeah, I'm a big, I'm a big supporter of Gen Z. I think they're just generally smarter than us uh, because they they had more access to information. They know more about the world. I will say Generation X and Millennials, we weren't completely horrible. We were just incrementalists. And Gen Z, they are not incrementalists. They are, this is the way it should be. And it's going to be that way now. And I, uh, I really, really rock with them. Also, they're also the ones that have erectile dysfunction at the age of 20. So we have to, we, our generation is, is still very, very important in helping along these, these young adults. Yes. Um, so you said a good scare tactic for like a 12 or 13 or 14 year old is to, you know, say, Hey, your penis might not work one day. What is your advice to that parent that has that teenager that just, they, they, they'll let them watch all the violent movies in the world, but just have the hardest time in the world talking to their children about sex. Well, I think that's normal. I think that's how most generations are. One of the things, you know, we talk about the generations. I think Generation X, like you and I are, is kind of that that fulcrum in the middle. We talk about our parents, our grandparents, they were so sexually conservative. And mm. now you've got the millennials and Gen Z, which are probably far too sexually liberal. And, and the internet bringing certain images and certain beliefs that certain dangerous behaviors are okay and fun. Um, I think that what we, our generation is really the one that sort of allowed this to happen not that it didn't need some changing but we let it go a little too far and we need to make sure that there is that we at least let as many of these younger kids know that this can be an issue we may not know much about pornography addiction we may not know uh how it hits certain demographics at this point we are still learning how Things like OnlyFans and the do-it-yourself pornography and selling porn of yourself online. What is that going to do to the millions of people who've started doing that the last few years? We don't know yet. It's largely this younger generation. In mm -hmm. 20 years, we're going to know what happened to them mentally and emotionally from selling their bodies online. Maybe it'll be horrible. Maybe it'll be nothing. But we need to at least have a discussion around it before it's too late. So I, I know that you, you wrote a book, your third book was mm -hmm. about uh, the rise of online pornography, specifically, um, not solely OnlyFans, but OnlyFans is the one that gets the big right. check mark and push. Why do you think it grew so much? And why do you think normal women who might have not even done anything like that jumped into it? Was it just the money? Because there survival. is a lot of money. I think that it was survival. I think that there was a, a group of people who otherwise would never do anything. Like they would never be a stripper. They would never make a porn movie. They would never do a lot of this stuff. But when you have a great catastrophe like the pandemic, which who did that furlough mainly? Young people. 
-hmm. waitresses, waiters, hostesses, bartenders, retail workers. Who are these people? They are usually young people who care about their appearance and are somewhat gregarious and outgoing. So now they can't get all this money from their work because their work is closed. What are they supposed to do if they have a kid? What are they supposed to do if they have rent or a mortgage? And this is one of those places that it is hard to say, no, you can't go do that to survive. Um, And that's why you saw January 1st, 2020, just before most of us learned about the pandemic, OnlyFans had roughly 300,000 content creators worldwide. Two years later, January 1st, 2022, they had over 2 million content creators. That is a growth of 1.7 million porn stars on just that one site. That doesn't even count all the cam sites. That doesn't count the OnlyFans uh, copycat sites, which are big out there. My guess, honestly, would be that somewhere between 3 and 5 million people worldwide started making pornography during the pandemic. And if you made the pornography and you needed the money and then you went back to your normal life, you know, I understand we have to make hard decisions we don't want to make sometimes. But what was interesting was when I started my book, I interviewed a bunch of OnlyFans uh, models and a bunch of cam models who had been doing this for a while because I wanted them to watch how the customer changed over the pandemic. Mm-hmm. I also intru- I also interviewed many uh, models who were just starting out because of the pandemic mm-hmm. um, and, and had planned to make their money this way. Now, I came back four months later when I was finishing up the research for the book and I interviewed those veterans and they were like, well, here's how the customers have changed. There's a lot more. They're throwing money out there, but they're scared to death of the world and blah, blah, blah. When I went back four months later and interviewed these new models, yes, there were some who were still talking about the money, but there were some, especially the younger ladies, who were talking about, you know, in real life, I can't get a date. And now I've got guys who want to fly me all over the world. Or in real life, I can't get a guy to look at me. And I know if I put a picture of my butt online, I can charge $5 and I'll have $300 within an hour of guys who want to see my butt. And nobody wants to see that in real life here. And what I'm, what I was hearing from them was that they are getting a dopamine rush. They Ah. are getting an oxytocin rush when they are doing this modeling, when they are putting this stuff out there. And the attention and the love that they're getting back from their customer base, that does not sound mentally healthy. It sounds exactly like addiction. addiction. And I think that pornography addiction from the producer's side of the coin is going to become more prevalent as we move forward. And it's just the other side of the coin from those who are the consumers. Hmm. If everybody's going after that dopamine at the end of the day, I can see 20 years from now, men and women our age who are on these sites, not because they're making money, but because they're getting that emotional push, they're getting that dopamine, they're getting what they need from doing this. And it's largely the same thing that the consumers need. I believe that the, uh, I believe the legacy of the pandemic is not going to be about the consumers of porn. I believe it's going to be about the producers.
did you see an escalation with the new models that had jumped into porn uh, during the pandemic of them at first going, well, I'm just going to show a couple of pictures to, yep. okay, just I'll gonna, do some just videos. Just going to be lingerie. Mm -hmm. And many of these girls said this kind of stuff to me. And then by the time that I interviewed them four months later, they are performing lesbian acts with their friends who they feel have no lesbian feelings towards. They just yeah. understand they're going to get more money and get more response that way. So you have four books. Mm -hmm. uh, you've done TED Talks. You're an also uh, a counselor as well. Mm -hmm. um, aside from yourself, and definitely, you know, we're definitely promoting your books and your website and all the things that you do. But what are some of the recommended resources and systems that people can use when they're struggling with porn addiction and their partner? You touched a little bit about it earlier, but you said 12 steps, you said there's some books. What happens to those people who are financially strapped? Well, fortunately, Google is free. And Google there's free. a lot of stuff out there now compared to five years ago that wasn't out there. Mm -hmm. There are there is so much on YouTube that wasn't out there five years ago. These You can do online 12-step groups. You can go to online forums. Uh, nobody's going to charge you to go to a 12-step group down the street from your house. Um, yes, it costs money to get therapy, to get coaching, to go to rehab, but it doesn't have to be that way if you don't have those resources. Because ultimately, at the end of the day, it's up to the addict whether they're going to quit or not, not how they do it. I want to, wow, I want to thank you for this interview. This was uh, very insightful and I hope I learned a lot and I hope my listeners learned a lot and realized, I have, okay, I got one final question. Okay. Ultimately, is porn bad in your eyes? Do you think pornography is bad? I don't put or a do value. You I, I personally don't put a value judgment on it. Mm -hmm. If you think it's bad, it's bad. If you think it's fine, it's fine. What I think is that I, I describe myself as not being anti-porn because we are never going to remove porn from this world. Mm -hmm. Sexuality is a normal thing. It's a natural thing. It's a beautiful thing. And part of sexuality is curiosity in the depictions of sexuality. Since there have been cavemen who could draw on the walls, since there have been artisans who could put little statues together, we have seen depictions of pornography. It's not going anywhere. And if the arguments against pornography were going to work, they would have worked back in the 60s and 70s when they were yeah. starting to be made. I am sorry to all of those people who have a Pollyanna-ish look at this, that we can just ban pornography outright. We can't. We tried that with alcohol in this country a hundred years ago Didn't when there work. was far less technology and that failed miserably. We're not going to outlaw pornography. What we can do is educate ourselves. I'm not anti-pornography. I am pro-healthy sexuality. Oh man, that is beautiful. Joshua, thank you so much for this interview. Um, I appreciate you coming in and, and teaching my audience about porn addiction, pornography, and betrayal trauma. 
that was the underneath thing that I think a lot of people didn't didn't realize um, it was going on with addiction is that that's a legitimate thing because there are people out there that are dealing with family members, friends, partners that are suffering from addiction, not solely porn addiction, it, drugs, alcohol, uh, video games is a, is a huge addiction now. And, the portrayal, and learning about portrayal trauma, which is something I didn't even realize that was really, really important. So once again, thank you so much for coming today. And thank you for allowing me to be here. I appreciate it very much. It was absolutely my pleasure. Once again, I want to thank Joshua uh, for opening up, being so open about his addictions, uh, teaching us about porn. And I hope parents... Uh, learned some things about porn and talking with their children um, and just talking to the children about sex. I can't tell people how to parent. Number one, I don't have any kids, right? Like, so I can't be the one to be like, this is how you should parent your kids. Like, I'm not going to do that. But I will say, I know people who are, I don't know if they're sexually repressed but they don't like having the uncomfortable conversations. And this is, you know, I love, I, I was raised in a different type of family and I'm just not talking about my mom and my dad. You know, the, the very first person, uh, well, my mom and dad were the first people to talk to me about sex. But when I turned uh, 12 years old, my grandmother, my mom's mother, my grandmother used to say, make sure you wear those condoms. She was pushing it in my head very, very, very young. I wasn't even having sex yet, but she was pushing it in my head very, very young. Hey, look, be out there, be safe. And I, I appreciate the fact that my family talked to me about those things. And was have I been reckless in my life sexually? Sure. I mean, everybody has, right? Like we all kind of make mistakes, but for the most part, you know, I, I'm still here. I'm still standing. And it was because those people uh, in my life that were close to me weren't hesitant to talk to me about things that were important. Uh, so, you know, Josh brought this up and I'm going to continue on pumping it in my head. It is never too early to start laying the groundwork for the conversations because sex is coming to the door sooner than my generation ever thought that it would come to the door, their door. You know, like we didn't experience that until we were in our teens. Kids are experiencing it much younger and if we were having a tough time processing it as teenagers, just imagine kids that are bare, are preteens or younger trying to process that information. They can't. They don't know what they're seeing. It's better to have that conversation with them early as opposed to later when it's too late. But that's my little tidbit on, on parenting. I feel like have those tough conversations. You need to do it. But on that note, once again, I want to thank Joshua. I want to thank the listening and watching audience. Remember, you can catch all these episodes live, not live, but you can catch all these episodes on video on YouTube at youtube.com backslash unsolicited perspectives. Also, we do two shows on our Patreon pages, $5 a month for talking straight-ish with me and the After Hours Uncensored episode with my sister. Yes, that's right. If you guys love the sibling happy hour so much, because I keep hearing so much about the sibling happy hour, which, you know, I'm happy that you guys are enjoying it. My sister is a hoot. That's the reason why I have her uh, on the show weekly. Uh, but if you love the banter back and forth on the 
sibling happy hour, you're going to love what we do on After Hours Uncensored because it is uncensored. We kind of censor ourselves uh, on the sibling happy hour. We talk about different topics and we uh, stuff that I don't want to put out in, in the mainstream. But uh, you can check out that on our Patreon page at patreon.com backslash unsolicited perspectives. But until next time, I'll holler. Thank you for listening to Unsolicited Perspectives with Bruce Anthony. Please subscribe, like, comment, share, and donate. Donations help us keep giving you this free content each and every week. Until next time, howdy 5,000. Peace.